0: Every Christian should be familiar with the two greatest commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says that the whole law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. And this is because these two greatest laws, when taken together, teach us how to properly order our love. They teach us how to properly order our love. We should love God more than anything else, because God is more lovable than anything else. And we should love our neighbors as ourselves, because our neighbors are equally as worthy of love as we are. And everything else that's in the world, we should love less. We should love less than God and less than other people. And any love that doesn't respect this order, any love that loves a created thing above God, that loves a a lesser good over a greater good, that's a disordered love. So all of the other commandments are just really expositions on these two great commandments. And they're meant to help us learn how to put these two into practice. And we need this. We need this instruction, and we need these reminders about how to rightly order our love because it's so easy for us to let our love become disordered. Right? Anytime we love a lesser good more than a greater good, anytime we love the created things of God more than we love God himself, and that includes ourselves, Right? we, we do that. We fall into a disordered love. We can't love everything equally, right? First of all, because not everything is equally worthy of love, but also because we're limited. Love is a gift of self. When you love something, you make a gift of yourself to that thing. And there's only so much of ourselves that we have to give, right? So we have to make decisions about how we spend our time, about who we're present with at any given Moment, and so there has to be an order to our love to help direct us in these decisions. How to direct us? How do we spend ourselves? For example, it's good for you know a man to love his job. Right? That's that's a good thing, but not if he loves his job more than he loves his family. Then that becomes a disordered love because his job is meant to be at the service of his family. And very few people, I think, would say, oh, yeah, I love my job more than I love my family. But when decisions have to be made about, well, how do I prioritize my time? If someone is always choosing his work responsibilities at the expense of his family responsibilities, then the effect is the same, because love is not just a feeling of affection, but it's, it's a decision that we make about what we give ourselves to, and these two greatest commandments, and all of the other commandments that expound upon them, they're there to help us make sure that we make those decisions and we order our love in a righteous way. I go into all of this because in today's gospel passage, Jesus gets real with us about the ramifications of these two great commandments. You know, it's easy for us to say, yeah, I love God more than everything else. Right? But what does this actually mean in practice? Jesus is very clear about the stakes. He says, whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Ouch. Like that statement, that's meant to shock us. Right? The love that a child has for his or her parents' That's the first love any of us ever know. And it's perhaps the strongest of all natural loves. Every parent, you've seen this in the eyes of your small children. They love you more than anything else in the world. They don't just rely on you, but they, they find comfort in you. They delight in sharing with you their their joys. They want to share with you their their sorrows, even when they're just really little, right? And their joys are, I found this weird-looking bug outside. Mom, look at it. Mom, look at it. I drew this picture. Dad, look at it. you know. Or I fell down and I bumped my knee. I want a hug. You're, you're their whole world. You're their whole world. And it's natural that kids crave their parents' attention and affection, Because we love our parents. We're born into this world loving our parents before we even know what love is. And for most of us, that that natural love, unless it's spoiled by sinful abuse or neglect, for most of us, that love just grows and matures as we enter into adulthood. And And then, when you become parents yourselves, then you get to experience that love from the other side. And you realize that, wow, the love that I had for my parents, that doesn't hold a candle to the love that I had for my children. And that love's even more precious because that love of a parent to a child, that's a reflection of of the love that God our Father has for us, his adopted children. We're talking about powerful love. And Jesus tells us that as good and as strong as this natural family love is. To be his disciple, we need to love him more. Why? Well, as worthy as our parents are of our love and devotion, he is more worthy. And so in our lives, if conflicts arise and we have to make a decision between obeying the fourth commandment to honor your father and mother, or obeying the first commandment to worship the Lord your God alone, you have to choose God, not some of the time, but all of the time. And as important as it is for parents to give themselves in loving service to their children, if a decision has to be made between serving your child and serving your God, You must choose God, not some of the time, not most of the time, but all of the time. And when you put it that way, you start to realize the real demands of discipleship. But that's what it means when we say love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Because all doesn't mean most. All means all. So we might think that with this, Jesus has made his point, but he's not done yet. He goes on, whoever does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Now you and I today are used to thinking about the cross in terms of Good Friday, which is followed by Easter Sunday, and so the sting's been taken out of it a little bit for us. But when Jesus spoke these words to his disciples, the cross for them was nothing more than an instrument of torture and execution. They had seen people die on crosses. They never saw anyone come back. The cross meant death, period. And so here Jesus is getting to the real heart of what it means to love God more than anything else. It means loving God more than yourself and this is such an important lesson for us to learn all sin all sin can be likened to a form of idolatry because anytime we sin this is what we're doing we're making an idol out of something it might be money or it might be power it might be our own comfort whatever it is that we're choosing to serve that's less than god right we're making an idol of that And we're serving that instead of God in that moment. So idolatry is just another form of disordered love. And out of all the things in the world that we are tempted to make a false idol out of, our Lord knows that the easiest thing to make a false idol of is ourselves. Is ourselves. This is the idolatry that we fall prey to time and time again. It's self-worship. This happens anytime we treat ourselves as the greatest good. We think we know so much better than our elders, than the church, even God himself. Even God himself. We want to judge God. We say, Lord, if I were God, I would do things different. If I were God, I would do things better. How arrogant of us. But Jesus knows this is our temptation. So to love God with all of our heart, mind, and soul, we have to crucify this desire to be the God of our own lives. We have to take our self-centeredness and our self-assurance and any sense of self-righteousness that we have and nail it to the cross. This is why Jesus says, it's only by losing our life that we will find it. We have to evict our own egos from the throne of our hearts and enthrone God there instead. And when we do that, when we have God, then we have everything, including ourselves, our true and perfect selves, as God knows and loves us to be. So the command to love God more than father, mother, son, or daughter, and even more than ourselves, it's not a command to love Anybody, any less. It's a command to love God more. And if we do that, if we make that choice to love God more than anything or anyone else, including and especially our own egos, then we'll find that our love for our friends, for our family, for our neighbors will actually increase and blossom and become more pure because that love will now be properly ordered and directed by love itself. In this same gospel passage, Jesus speaks to us about the rewards that await those who offer hospitality to the righteous and to prophets, which is to say to those who speak God's word to us and who live according to God's law. And at first glance, we may wonder about this because it might seem to run counter to Jesus' call elsewhere to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us and to forgive all those who sin against us. Right? We know that God causes the sun to shine on the bad and the good alike, so why should we give the righteous any special treatment? Well, it's because the command to love God and the command to love our neighbor, these aren't two separate and distinct commandments, but they're part of the one law of love. And we have to be able to understand them in conjunction with one another. It's right for us to love God above all else because God is the greatest good. And it's right for us to love our neighbor as ourselves because our neighbor, just like us, is made in the image of God. In other words, our love for one another should be an extension of our love of God. We should love our neighbor because our neighbor, like us, is an image of God. We see God in other people. And those who are righteous, which is to say those who are practicing virtue, they are most like God. And it's not because they have any more inherent dignity or worth than anyone else, but it's because they're cooperating with God's grace in their life. And so that image of God that's within them is able to shine forth more clearly. We see God's goodness reflected in their lives. And so it's right for us that we hold holy people in a special regard. We honor God when we honor those who love God. And the same thing is true regarding those who speak to us on God's behalf. It's not because of their own wisdom that we honor them, but it's because through them we receive God's wisdom. That's why Jesus says to his disciples, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. And so far, if you're following me, this all seems rather reasonable, right? If we love God, we should love those people who represent God to us. It makes sense. But, of course, this is not the only time in the Gospels when Jesus speaks about the love of neighbor. Here today, Jesus says that if you offer a cup of water to one of his disciples, you will be rewarded. And that's certainly true. But later on, towards the end of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus will go on to say that if you offer a drink to anyone who is thirsty, or if you offer food to the hungry, or visit the sick, or imprisoned, you will be rewarded with a place in God's kingdom. And he makes no mention in this later passage about the righteousness of the hungry, or the thirsty, or the sick, or imprisoned. He only mentions their need. And yet, he says that whatever love and service we offer to those whom he calls the least is love and service that is offered to him. Now, why should this be? It must be because somehow, in the divine order, the poor and those who are suffering are also close to God. Or perhaps it's better to say... God is close to them not because of their righteousness but because of their want and I think this aspect of the Christian faith while it's the easiest one to talk about when we're sitting here in church everyone loves to hear about the call to love the poor I think it's the most difficult one to put into practice probably because it's the most difficult one to really believe Do you see God in the poor? It's easy to see God in the lives of the saints, someone like Mother Teresa. Do you see him in the person who comes up to you on the sidewalk, who's dirty, who smells bad, doesn't look like you, doesn't look like someone you'd want to associate with, and they're asking something from you that you don't want to give, Do you recognize Christ there? We have to learn to recognize the Lord's presence in all of the many ways that he comes to us. If we struggle to recognize God's presence in the Eucharist, how will we recognize him in the hospice bed? If we fail to give Jesus honor In the righteous man or the prophet, even less will we honor him in the addict. It might sound like a contradiction, but the truth is, the more we love the saints, the more we will come to love sinners. This all begins with a rightly ordered love that puts God first. And then for the love of God extends out to everything and everyone whom God loves in his creation.